if there is one thing that i swear by when it comes to all health it is the concept that everything is subtly nuanced cannabis is extremely nuanced and this episode is all about this in today's episode we answer three key questions what are the nuances in understanding cannabis and how can we use cannabis the right way how are cbd thc and cbn used when it comes to specific sleep issues where should you go if you want to be guided about using cannabis the right way for better sleep Raghav Priyadarshi is founder of Savikalpa Sciences a phytopharmaceutical firm pushing the frontiers of cannabinoid research with a view to positioning India as a global hub of this novel therapeutic pathway partnering with leading drug research institutes and physicians savikalpa sciences is committed to leveraging india's r&d prowess to develop therapies for chronic diseases raghav grew up in switzerland followed by undergrad in us and postgrad in uk where after he started his professional career in the financial services industry in Switzerland before moving back to India in 2008 let's get started hey everyone i'm deepa light functional medicine practitioner author and yogini and you're listening to the sleep whisperer podcast the only sleep podcast with conversations and meditations i'm on a mission to share profoundly insightful sleep conversations with global visionaries that merge together functional medicine and ancient wisdom breathe in bliss through weekly guided meditations and let yourself enter the land of dreams together Let's unravel the pieces, get to the roots and understand the right tools to transform your sleep completely. Through this podcast, I want you to dream the best version of yourself. It's time to regain hope and begin your sleep journey. Raga, welcome to the Sleep Whisperer podcast. Pleasure to have you. And this is a topic that I've been wanting to talk about for quite a while, but never truly found the right person. So it was fortitude when you let me know that this was what you'd like to talk about. So today we are talking about how we can improve sleep through cannabis. Um, maybe you could just give us a quick intro story about what got you into this area, this passion area. And you have a lot of experience. We had a little talk before we started recording about our uh, opinions on research. So, I mean, I know we won't have too much time to get into all that. Maybe we can just peek into that. But what got you into this area? what a pleasure to join you on the podcast today and uh, very briefly to answer and just straight away answer your question deepa i have been working on putting together a team that is looking at the therapeutic applications of the entire suite of cannabinoids cannabinoids are the compounds which are found within the cam- cannabis plant 
and it seems that there is both a very classical ancient understanding of what the therapeutic applications of this plant are and also over the past 20 let us say 30 years in particular at a lab level but more so in the past 15 20 years there's been this growth of this medical cannabis ecosystem globally right but there seems to be a paucity of actual literature research literature that goes beyond let's say just the lab or an academic institution so i started looking at this about four years back and formally about three years back and we started to conduct a pre-clinical research so basically in vitro lab test tube studies just to understand what the specific actions of individual compounds are and it is through that process of investigation in fact other indications i was not looking at sleep but we started seeing that there was a lot of global secondary literature and also some of the work that we were doing in lab that was presenting very significant therapeutic applications of some cannabinoids in treating neurological disorders. And when we saw that there was an activity of cannabinoids in improving at least the symptoms of neurological disorders, the natural sort of extension was that in particular sleep disorder, in particular insomnia often has, at least in our general understanding, a neurological underlying base, right? The physiology of that, um, you know, does, does suggest that there can be some amount of neurological dysregulation leading to poor sleep and so we thought let us also look at the application of cannabinoids and sleep in particular so that is in a nutshell how i how i ended up tangentially tangentially coming to looking at sleep in particular so will you give us an introduction to cannabis because i can truly say that i am no expert at it in fact i probably have no way of using it in my own practice so i'd love for you to just think uh, that you're speaking to me as if I have zero knowledge of cannabis. So maybe you could just go into that. All right, fine. So the first thing I would say is that the advantage whenever talking about cannabis is that it is a compound or it is a plant that is at least known and recognized. There is a notoriety to it, which also means that, you know, the average person around the world is familiar as opposed to us talking about, I don't know, Boswellia or Brahmi or talking about arnica for that matter people you know only a certain set of individuals who are interested would be would be familiar i can try and do a maybe a three or four minute sort of a quick let's say timeline on cannabis effectively um, as we are all aware well plants are older than human beings so plants have been around forever and ever at least earlier than you know our best understanding of uh, of, of the hominid species um but at least in terms of literature in terms of archaeology our best understanding is that we have seen the cultivation of cannabis starting somewhere about 10 or 12,000 years back in parts of East Asia, China and South Asia which is let's say India or what is maybe Pakistan, Afghanistan, the northern Indian sort of you know south of the Himalayan belt. These are two areas where we have the earliest references of cannabis being used by societies culture and therefore the assumption is that there was some amount of cultivation of this plant that started. The amazing thing about cannabis is that in classical medical literature, so both traditional Chinese medicine, uh, some reference literature, very, very nominal when it comes to the hieroglyphics in Egypt, but very particularly in the traditional medicine systems of India and in particular Ayurveda, there is a recognition of cannabis as one of the principal therapeutic herbs that exists. In fact, in Sanskrit, cannabis is in its medicinal format referred to as Vijaya. So 
in ayurveda in unani which is obviously a related indian system of medicine but in ayurveda in particular we find there to be the greatest amount of development of an understanding of what the properties of cannabis are and what are its sort of use cases in again classical form factors most most particularly what we see is that cannabis firstly is considered in indian system of medicine as an upavisha which means that it is a minor poison obviously systems of medicine and traditional systems of medicine recognize that all plants all herbs all minerals can be therapeutic can be poisonous but poison can also be therapeutic but there is a certain process of purification a shuddhikaran as they call it which is required before you convert something that might be a minor poison into something that is medicinal so in classical literature once again there are references to a particular sort of purification of the raw plant where after it can be combined with various other synergistic herbs and minerals to create classical formulations that are used in a multiplicity of you uh, different conditions in ayurveda today we have identified and by we i mean in india we have now identified over 200 classical formulations that exist in which cannabis is one of the principal uh, ingredients one of the principal therapeutic agents in the composition of that particular plant but what seems to ha have happened over let us say the past 30 odd years in particular is that in the indian context awareness of the medicinal applications of cannabis has kind of really dropped off the map we enacted in 1985 what is our um, our uh, ndps act which is your narcotic drugs and psychotropic substances act and it is important maybe very briefly to suggest that india as a founding member of the united nations when we were signatory signatories to what is called the single convention on narcotic drugs at the un which was i think is which was executed in 1961 or 1962 all countries whenever we undertake any international obligations we have to ratify them within our national legislatures within a 25 year period so let us say we signed off on the un convention i think 62 or 63 in fact by 1987 88 you need to ensure that you have changed your domestic laws to be in consonance with what you have agreed to vis-a-vis your international obligations so i think the mandarins in india probably around 1983 84 figured out that hey we've signed off on something 20 years back we need to make sure that our local laws mirror what our international obligations are so we came up with this one particular act which sort of governs various different psychotropic substances and creates a schedule of those substances in terms of what their therapeutic use cases are what the limitations on those substances are and 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 so on and so forth unfortunately cannabis had been registered as a as a narcotic substance and in the highest schedule of the un convention therefore suggesting that it had no therapeutic value whatsoever now it's a bit strange sometimes how modern laws have these kind of references when you know that in cultures around the world for thousands of years there is the use of a particular plant it is like my saying okay let's let's ban mango mango is not uh, mango is not sweet well everybody knows mango is sweet but still there might be some some other interest at play which suggests that you know hey you know you have to put mango off the shelf effectively i think that that is what happened to cannabis but i also give credit to our mandarins i think that the bureaucrats politicians government of the day in the mid 1980s recognized that in india at least a large part of the rural population 
residing in the countryside their principal caregiver is an ayurvedic physician or there might be a you know a vaid it might be a hakim practicing unani for example medicine you know even today the phcs are not that well manned and are not that well stocked with medicine even if we have now janoshadhi kendras and this that and the other so they created an exception in this ndps act in which they said that the flower of the cannabis plant is illegal but the leaf of the plant the seed of the plant the stalk of the plant is legal and they made a legal distinction calling leaf bhang and the flower or the bud ganja now in hindi and sanskrit even earlier ganja bhanga are equivalent it is like calling up you know it's the name of the entire plant in hindi but in legalese we created this difference saying that oh no this part is ganja and this part is bhang bhang is legal ganja is illegal now it's another matter that this is not a self flowering it's not like a, you know a plant in which you i don't see how if you don't have the flower how do you get the seed and if you know how do you then get the plant thereafter right so i don't see how you can ban just the flower and then say that the leaf is legal because without the flower there will be no seed and there will be no plant and there will be no leaf and there will be no stalk but this is a little bit of the dichotomy that exists when it comes to the rules the reason i brought this up is the negative impact of enacting this law and the confusion it caused was that in the traditional practitioner medicine practitioner ecosystem awareness of cannabis really fell off the map and very few persons start continued to practice because they weren't sure whether or not this plant is actually legal for medical use or not coming to today over the past 20 years in particular many countries around the world have created a medical cannabis regime governments have started once again recognizing that cannabis presents very significant potential therapeutic values and have therefore allowed an alternative access regime saying that in the absence of there being let us say successful treatment pathways for various different conditions a patient can seek permission and get access to cannabis as a treatment option and this is really sort of you know been pioneered in particular i would say in canada and you know now there are about 30 odd countries around the world that do have a medical cannabis regime in place incidentally i lived in in the us about well more than two decades back at that point in time cannabis was entirely illegal today even recreational cannabis is legal in a majority of the states in the us the challenge and which is why i also started working on cervical sciences and cannabinoids in particular is that there seems to always be a redefinition of an understanding which is ancient and it is cast in a modern sense so we today will find a lot of references online and in literature about how this is a new industry this is a new therapeutic pathway this is something that is being pioneered at johns hopkins or at you know the state university of colorado or maybe at the university of british columbia and then you i come back to the understanding that wait in ayurveda there are literally thousands of pages of monographs talking about specific compositions that have this herb talking in detail what the use cases are how you prepare that formulation when to use it what matra what dosage to use that in and what the intended you know treatment outcomes are so i thought that look there is something for us to look at at least in an indian context here there is a lot of reference that exists in indian literature and let us try and use that classical knowledge that we have but apply modern drug research standards if you don't do what is current in science today your efforts are often times not recognized there is a lot of myopia 
there is a lot of sort of uh, you know um indifference by medical practitioners if you don't present them with data which can be published in lancet which can be published in you know the leading medical journals of the day so we said let us look at classical knowledge but let us apply a modern lens let us do the cannabinoid or let's say molecular drug development as you would for an allopathic formulation not because you are required to but only to build up the scientific understanding and the scientific data set to substantiate what the therapeutic benefits of cannabis are and today we are getting to a position in which we're slowly but not just us here in india but around the world there are enough efforts to really try and build once again a very holistic understanding of what the power what the healing power of this particular naturally occurring substances beautiful raghav and i think oh my goodness there were like so many things popping in my mind but i do want us to bring our attention back to sleep specifically so um because you differentiated so many nuances in the use of it so i'd love to know how is it easy for all of us to use cannabis to improve our sleep how do we access uh what is um, uh, who's the right person that we go to if we want to use and i think that's a very pertinent aspect in today's world i will once again deepa draw a reference to some of the clinical studies that have happened again over the past 20 odd years mostly at institutions or universities the biggest use case for cannabis at least in terms of what has been studied so far is pain management so you have a lot of studies around the world at hospitals or at academic institutions looking at what the potential application of cannabis medicine in treating pain is and as an aside i am careful to use the word cannabis medicine and not medical cannabis globally the industry is medical cannabis in which the form factor administered is a flower or a concentrate which is smoked or it is vaporized or you know but to me these are not clinical form factors these are not factors that can be administered in a hospital setting these are not form factors that can be given to a cannabis naive person i can't tell my grandmother to go and smoke a joint if she has never even you know smoked or for that matter even had a bhanga laddu in her life right so we we try and make the distinction that you need to make medicine which can be given to cannabis naive patients so that it is not on that spectrum of wellness recreation and medicine and somewhere in between but coming back to the research that has taken place globally one of the main areas that you know globally researchers have looked at is pain the other is in terms of mental health applications in particular anxiety also depression the other area where there has been significant interest but outside of insomnia in particular some neurological conditions so they're looking at migraine for example epilepsy in fact some uh, you know forms of epilepsy pediatric epilepsy which are rare in which again we found that there is a very very significant improvement in the in the frequency of seizures uh, by administering cannabis medicine also parkinson's disease but one of the interesting thing that comes out if you do a secondary let's say what is called a meta review of existing research on any particular condition outside of sleep all patients whether you know they were being researched for cancer pain whether they were being you know looked at in terms of the therapeutic applications of parkinson or whatever the case may be one of the constant you know outcomes was that all of the patients in these study groups reported an improvement in sleep now these studies were not studying whether or not cannabis can be used to improve sleep but whether or not they got positive results for treatment of let us say uh, fibromyalgia or treatment of let us say 
um you know parkinson's disease the most common outcome was that all patients reported an improvement in sleep so it was a secondary research outcome that emanated from these let's say global studies and which seemed to suggest to the researchers that okay fine we may or may not know whether or not a cannabinoid formulation is useful in treating condition x but it seems that it most certainly does end up improving sleep now how does it improve sleep what is the right concentration of the cannabinoids and i would like to speak very briefly deepa on cannabinoids in particular we are all familiar with cbd cbd is something that is i think known by persons around the world whether or not there is a medical cannabis regime or not it has become a very popular word today it is important to understand that cbd is one compound out of now over 160 unique compounds found in the cannabis plant that we call cannabinoids these these compounds are not found in almost any other plant in the world barring one or two very very rare plants so i'm not even speaking of those because the abundance of those plants is very limited one grows just on rocky northern shores of new zealand for example it's very hard to harvest that because it's a naturally occurring but very very minor compound effectively cannabinoids and the word cannabis i mean the word cannabinoids comes from the word cannabis are only found in this plant cbd is one of 160 such unique compounds found in the plant the actual cannabis plant has over 500 compounds it has flavonoids it has terpenes it has this entire other suite of compounds which are also found in the plant kingdom but specifically to cannabis there are these unique compounds which we call cannabinoids of which cbd is one if you go to the us today if you go to europe today if you go to many others you know various parts of the world you will see that people are saying hey i'm taking cbd for anxiety i'm taking cbd for sleep right but if you speak to individuals or if you study some of the literature you will find that there is a complete variability in what the actual outcomes of consuming cbd in particular are there are two reasons for this one is that in the us in particular and us is the largest market it's you know the country where all the marketing also happens and all the advertising happens and it sets the kind of agenda and the sort of narrative in even in nascent areas or you know new 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 subject matters cbd was deregulated in the united states in 2018 which means that it was removed from the schedule of controlled substances and therefore you were allowed to grow hemp plants cannabis plants but that did not produce thc thc is the other very significant compound found in the cannabis plant but it is what also has the intoxicating effect so normally when you smoke cannabis recreationally or consume cannabis recreationally in an edible form factor it is tetrahydrocannabinol thc which gives you the high cbd which is another very significant compound in the plant does not give you any kind of an intoxicating effect so the us government deregulated cbd cbd in 2018 and thereafter you saw this mushrooming of the cbd industry so today you can go and you can buy a cbd juice you can buy a cbd infused honey cbd bath bomb cbd candle cbd you know you name it this that and the other right to me this is slightly challenging because in my understanding and in the understanding of at least the research community globally cbd is a therapeutic molecule cbd has got very particular therapeutic properties and i never ever hear about somebody saying hey shall i just sprinkle some citrusine on my smoothie bowl 
or shall i just add some you know aspirin to my khichdi like you know i mean it it's completely nonsensical effectively but when it comes to cbd this is what is happening today so now because of this sort of enabling of open use by the us government some of the standards that apply to even nutrition supplements nutraceuticals let alone drugs which have to have a certain stability if you're saying that this is a 500 mg paracetamol it should be a 500 mg paracetamol but when it comes to the cannabis industry globally standards are not in place so what is happening is that there are lots of people manufacturing let us say cbd but they are not really having to adhere to the same standards that normally apply to you know by the food and drug administration to whether it is food and especially when it comes to medicines there are very very strict standards and quality control in place so what is happening today is that even if you're going and this is not just in india this is around the world if you go to even some of the largest companies in the cannabis or medical cannabis or cbd industry globally barring a few exceptions most are making formulations without stability so you may go buy the same product it might just say abc whatever its name is but you buy it once it might be 500 mg you go the next month you buy it it might be 50 mg and you go the third month and you buy it it might be 5000 mg and that is a big problem when you're looking for a repeatable outcome i have a particular condition i want to treat it but i need a specific dosage i need a specific concentration of that and because of this lack of quality control you are seeing that the outcomes reported by patients are variable and it is in their fault it is because the most of the time in 99% of the cases the products that persons are accessing do not have the certain stability required and stability in terms of they don't have the stability of their manufacturing processes in place this is one there is another challenge to it cannabinoids we are finding in research are what are called biphasic in nature so this means that at a certain concentration that particular compound or that particular mole molecule will have effect x and at a concentration above that threshold that same compound will have an effect y and x is the opposite of y x is not even equivalent in some sense it is the exact opposite now what we're finding in the case of cbd cannabidiol in particular which is the most common compound is that at a certain concentration cbd helps to promote sleep and in particular we are finding that cbd is good for sleep maintenance if you have broken sleep if you you know if you don't sleep very well through the night then cbd is promoting more restful sleep you know without disturbance but above a certain concentration if you consume cbd it will keep you wide awake so you can actually use it as a very good compound which is extremely safe the safety profile of cbd and cannabis in general is very high and that and that is some work that we at subcup sciences have done but also globally i think this is even recognized today by the who right even though it's just one paragraph which is there in the entire who website where it does say that cannabis and cbd in particular is amongst the safest compounds known to man from a therapeutic angle but the challenge is that if you've consumed a large amount of cbd you were taking it to go to sleep you were using it to help you keep you know go to sleep but actually it might keep you wide awake and it might be good if you were in college and you had to cram for an exam or something and you could take a high concentration of cbd instead of it helping you sleep it'll probably help you just be nice and fresh and awake for your all nighter so to speak or whatever the case is so these are some challenges we still need to establish what these thresholds are 
And that is the research that, for example, we are working on that is the kind of stuff that people around the world who are looking at it slightly more from a scientific lens are looking at. So vis-a-vis -vis CBD, this is just a small, smaller, let us say, um, monologue, if, if I can put it that way. And coming back, Raghav, to the important question, where do we go? Now, if I want to use it for improving my sleep, where do I go? Because you've given us insight into nuances, concerns, but I don't want it to be that then uh, we don't think about you utilizing it as a tool that can help our sleep. So where do we go? What are we looking for? Who do we need to see? Does somebody have to decide on how much we have to take, how we take it? Absolutely. I think these are very, very pertinent questions. And I think that it is something that, you know, not just us, but drug regulators and governments and medical practitioners, physicians and healers around the world should be considering today. Um, briefly, I would like to speak about that. We've spoken, I've spoken about CBD in particular. It is important to understand that at least when it comes to sleep, out of these 160 plus compounds, there are three compounds that have an activity on sleep. We've spoken about CBD. It is important also to mention THC. THC is the most notorious compound in a certain sense because that is, like I mentioned, the intoxicating compound. It is what generates euphoria. Now, it is important again to recognize that something that generates euphoria, if given to let us say a person suffering from chronic depression, it actually improves and elevates their mood and helps them come back into balance. It promotes homeostasis. But yes, if you are sober or if you're not suffering from let us say a depressive disorder, when you consume that same compound, it will elevate your mood further and you will get high, right? I mean, that's literally where the terminology, where the language comes from. But THC also has importantly sedative properties. So it in, induces, you know, soporific and sedative sort of experience. And that is why even in classical literature, we see that there is a reference to cannabis being used for sleep, um, you know, for example, in Ayurveda. So it is important to understand that THC leads to an improvement in sleep onset. So because insomnia, and as I'm sure you and your listeners and, you know, various persons on the podcast must have already spoken about many times previously, but it is important to understand what is the type of sleep disorder that you are suffering from. So far, literature suggests that cannabis medicine is useful in treating only chronic insomnia. We don't have enough literature currently to suggest whether or not it could be, you know, useful in conditions like sleep apnea or various, you know, other related sleep disorders. We are speaking very specifically of only and only insomnia right now. And within that, THC is very important for enabling sleep or quickening the sleep onset. If you have difficulty falling asleep, then you want a THC dominant formulation. If you have what we say in Hindi, kachini, broken sleep, if you have, you know, disturbed sleep, then a formulation that has a greater concentration of CBD will be required. And there is a third compound called cannabinol, CBN which is actually a, you know, a minor cannabinoid found in the cannabis plant. And both THC and CBD convert on exposure to oxygen or on heating to a CBN. What we are actually finding is, and there's very little research as of yet, as of date, um, you know, beyond, let's say, a preclinical level. But what we're finding is CBN might actually be the key compound in determining what the 
ratios required in a formulation are between THC, CBD and CBN. So that's a little bit of pharmacology, which, you know, just, just, I thought that it's important for us to position that there is a lot more that needs to be done for us to further deepen our understanding. But yes, THC for sleep onset, CBD for sleep maintenance, and CBN as a combination thereof is something that might be very, very particularly needed. Now, how do you go about accessing cannabis? And how do you bring that and incorporate it into your, let us say, you know, whether it is your daily nutrition regime or whether it is your treatment regime, effectively, right? It is very important that you seek the guidance of a physician. You seek the guidance of somebody who has some experience in administering cannabis medicine. There is a paucity of that in India currently. Um, there are just not enough physicians. There are not enough practitioners who are aware of dosage guidance, who are aware of contraindications, who are aware of drug interactions. And these are all very important things. If I have a patient who is elderly, who might be on, let us say, diabetes medicine, they might be on hypertensive medicine, they might be on all kinds of other, let us say, you know, uh, formulations. It is important to understand that, you know, will cannabis impact the outcomes, the treatment outcomes of those medicines? Will there be an enhancement or a reduction due to a particular drug interaction? And once again, it's not their fault. One, there are no formulations really in the market, but even the crude formulations that do exist in the market today, there is no awareness, there is no literature. So there might be, you know, cannabis companies, but they're doing a lot of, let's say, social media marketing, or they're doing, you know, various sort of D2C activations. But it is very important to understand that this is medicine. It might be natural product medicine, but medicine is medicine. And the principal person to build awareness of that medicine has to be a caregiver, has to be a physician, has to be a medical practitioner in some sense, right? Um, you know, let's say more, more generally a healer. So you need to do a lot of awareness generation. We need to do a lot of awareness generation at the level of the physician community so that they understand dosage guidance. We are working on developing data sets that are able to cover for drug interactions, at least for a significant majority of, let's say, 30, 40 of the most common drugs that persons are on, especially to treat chronic disorders. Um, Similarly, what are some of the contraindications for cannabis generally? These are things which are very important for physicians to know that it might be that, you know, let us say you, you, know, you have a family history of schizophrenia, in which case it may be very, very important for a physician to ensure that they don't administer because there can perhaps be an increase in some of the side effects or some of the symptoms, um, you know, leading to, leading to a bigger challenge effectively, right? So, but to answer specifically your question, there are now companies in the country, including ourselves, who have, and I would say it very openly, we have crude formulations, oral formulations. However, in India, cannabis is still registered, even though we recognize cannabis as a therapeutic agent, cannabis is registered under what is called Schedule E of the Drugs and Cosmetic Act. Schedule E specifically states that medicines made with compounds or, you know, with ingredients under Schedule E should be taken under the supervision of a medical professional, should be taken under a medical, medical supervision. Actually, it says it should be taken under medical supervision. So it's more a guidance or an advisory to patients that any medicine that contains any compound which is under Schedule E should be taken under medical supervision. We interpret that strictly to mean that it should be taken on a prescription only. Even though technically it is drugs which come under Schedule H or it might be your narcotics Rx drugs. Cannabis is neither a narcotic, neither is it in the Indian regulatory schedule, neither is it a Schedule H. But because it is Schedule E, we still feel 
that it can be intoxicating. If you give above a certain threshold of the medicine, it can lead to euphoria. I don't want an elderly person consuming the medicine, let us say for improving their sleep, to potentially get high and then they might stumble and they might, you know, injure their ankle or they might, you know, do have a hip displacement, which is a bigger problem than what they were seeking the medicine for. So even if it's a secondary adverse effect, it is very important that only physicians are giving access to this medicine to genuine patients. There can and always is abuse. There is diversion. We are trying to build in checks and balances to ensure that it is only a certain set of physicians who have access to the medicine and only after they actually consult a patient and determine what the use case is to actually provide that access for this medicine to their patients. It's a long journey, but we're building in tools. We're building in a lot of reference literature. We're building in sort of... Uh, treatment guidance, clinical treatment guidelines to be able to share with physicians because there's a limit to how much, you know, at an, at an individual or at an organizational level also, we can go. We're almost creating a category here. And I really feel that we have an opportunity in India because of our classical understanding, but also because we have great minds in the country. We have great doctors. We have great researchers, scientists, clinicians. We just don't use those to really push the frontier of knowledge. Sometimes knowledge does reside in individuals, but there isn't a collective institutional collaborative effort, which is something which is very prevalent in the West, right? So we always see that, hey, there is a new investigational drug that comes out from Switzerland, which is where I grew up, for example, or the US or other places, right? The talent is often Indian. The people who are working at the Roche or the Novartis or the Pfizer or the Johnson & Johnson oftentimes are persons who graduated from our institutions, from our medical colleges, but then they are given the resources to support. And yes, there is a profit motive and there is a certain architecture to, let us say, um, you know, modern medicine effectively, and that has its own challenges. But for me, the mission is that this is actually ancient Indian medicine. And we should not find ourselves in a position a few years down the line. Once again, that a Pfizer or a Roche has a particular patent protection on a cannabinoid formulation, and then it is only accessible to those persons who can afford to pay tens of thousands of dollars. This is frankly general medicine. It can also be precision medicine. I'm not going to go into some of the research that we're doing and some of the really tremendous results we're seeing in treating various other conditions which don't have either existing treatment pathways or in which the existing treatments have very significant you know, and severe adverse events. But that apart, there really is an opportunity for us to bring back awareness of this medicine. And at a small level for me and for our organization, we would be very happy if at least at the level of this country, we can build about that awareness. And given the effort that you, I see, have put in over the past so many years, there are so many experts, but more than that, I realize I'm very thankful I don't really suffer from any sleep disorder whatsoever. But if I'm working with a compound in which I'm seeing consistently patients reporting that there is an improvement in their sleep, and sometimes it's shocking deep. I've heard people come back to me and said, I don't remember sleeping like this in the past 20 years. And I'm like, wait, I might be looking at, just giving an example, prostate cancer. But if I see a patient saying something like, I don't remember sleeping like this in my life, I'm like, we also need to focus on this because this is something that impacts tens of millions of people, maybe hundreds of millions. You would know better than me. I am not a sleep expert in any sense. But uh, but that's where the sort of motivation is coming for, that you really should focus on 
building awareness and sharing that with both the general population, people in general, and also very specifically with the doctor and with the healing community. Such pertinent points, Raghav, and I think that all I can say is may the universe support you in your endeavor because the world needs more people like you. And I think um, perhaps our listeners who are interested in going down this road of using cannabis for sleep can probably reach out to you on your website or somewhere and get some guidance on what to do next. Maybe you Absolutely. could share those details. Yes, certainly. We are doing, like I said, a lot of technical and scientific literature. And I'm told by a lot of my colleagues not to speak in a lot of scientific, uh, you know, lingo. But what we are doing is obviously trying to create content which can be shared with persons to just build their general understanding. My company is called Savikalpa Sciences. We have a website online, which is uh, www.savikalpa.com, which is S-A-V-I-K-A-L-P-A.com. We have a lot of reference literature available for patients or persons just to familiarize themselves with what the various use cases are. And furthermore, what we have created is an online virtual clinic platform. So because this effort was really born or created during the pandemic, when there was very, very significant, obviously, restriction on mobility, we have created an online virtual clinic platform. There's a lot of information available there, again, in terms of the various indications that cannabis medicine can be used to treat. But we also allow persons anywhere in the country, or for that matter, anywhere in the world, to actually set up a consultation with an expert physician. We are building slowly a roster of individuals you know, let's say mid to senior level practitioners who build an understanding of cannabis medicine and are therefore able to guide patients in terms of the right dosage, the right formulation, and, um, you know, a synergist or, or a multiplicity of, let's say, efforts to come together to enable an optimal treatment outcome. So both this virtual clinic is there where, you know, I think it'll take a couple of minutes for any person who's even nominally, uh, you know, technology or computer savvy to set up a virtual consultation, be able to access guidance on cannabis medicine from our resident experts and our effort is that we continue to grow that tribe of experts so that you know over a period of time there are individuals that people can go to even physically right so that whether you're in a Hyderabad or a Bangalore or a Chennai or a Mysore or an Imphal or whatever the case may be slowly but surely we're very confident that we will get through to building awareness at the wider practitioner level as well. But so far, online is, 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 is what we have available, at least as a one-stop shop. Perfect, Raghav. And it was an absolute pleasure. And I think we've spoken way longer than we planned. But somehow it just went on. And Can I, can I, can I add one thing? Share some final words, yes. One thing. The only study, and this is a double-blind, placebo-controlled crossover trial looking at, and I know that we shouldn't focus only on, only on let's say, the, the science of it, but the first trial of its nature looking at cannabis in particular for insomnia was executed only this year in 2023, I believe, at the University of New South Wales in Australia. 
very small patient group i think it was only a 24% trial so 12 people in one group 12 people in the other and after 2 weeks there was a crossover it was a double blind so neither the researcher nor the patients knew whether they were give, being given the active medicine or the placebo control but at the end of this trial i think it's in preprint i don't think it's actually been published just yet but the results are significant and i can share some very specific data points which is sometimes easier to consume right but on average for example there was a uh, increase in sleep duration by 33 minutes so of the persons who were part of this trial there was an average increase in sleep duration for 33 minutes there was a reduction of 10 minutes across average reduction of 10 minutes across the group on um, on sleep um, on uh, sleep maintenance i mean so there sorry what would be the best way to put it that there was a reduction in waking up in the middle of the night by an aggregate of 10 minutes so these are very specific data points this might be more relevant let's say to the researcher or practitioner community but it is very encouraging i mean 33 minutes is a very very significant increase and all of the patients at least so these are not the biomarkers these were all specifically biomarkers and time studies but in terms of the patients reporting themselves 100% of the patients reported that they felt more rested they woke up feeling more rested they had more energy subsequently the day after So this is a very small study, but at least it's the first proper clinical trial that even the most hard-nosed, let's say, modern physician who says that no, 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 I will only look at it when there is something which is a double-blind, you know, placebo-controlled study. Well, okay, there is one. I am very certain, Deepa, that this year, at least within financial year 2023, 2024, we will build on this work, and we are in fact hoping to conduct a larger clinical trial. Once again, a double-blind placebo-controlled. and i don't know whether it'll be a crossover or a multi arm study but we look at that but in india itself so as to continue to build on this and you know work through some of the specific specificities that we spoke about earlier earlier in our talk perfect raghav thank you so much for giving your time and sharing your wisdom with us today it was an absolute pleasure hosting you thank you so much deepa look forward to our continued interactions have a lovely day This was truly a masterclass on cannabis. With great power comes great responsibility. If one person lives this mantra, it is Raghav. I was thrilled to see Raghav debunk the myths and bring highlight about how cannabis usage can easily become a fad. If you've heard great things about using cannabis for anxiety and sleep, I'd encourage you to reach out to Raghav so you have prescription based protocols monitored the right way so that you can make it work specific to you have a great day This podcast is intended to provide helpful and informative material on the subject matter covered in the episodes The podcast is not acting in the capacity of a doctor or a registered dietitian and is not rendering any professional healthcare or medical service. The information in the podcast is not intended as a substitute for medical advice or services or as treatment or cure for any particular health condition. The advice and tools contained herein may not be suitable for your situation. Any medical questions regarding contraindications and cautions 
or any questions on whether or not to proceed with any practices provided in the show should be referred to qualified health professionals before adopting the same the podcast specifically disclaims any responsibility for any liability loss risk personal or otherwise which may be incurred as a direct or indirect consequence of the use of information from this podcast or the application adoption of any of the information provided